Hey guys, it's Corbett Barr here. Today's episode is going to be different from our usual format. This episode is dedicated to our friend Scott Dinsmore. Tragically, Scott died last weekend while climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Scott was a close personal friend and perhaps the biggest supporter of the work we do at Fizzle. Scott and his wife Chelsea were living a lifelong dream of spending a year traveling around the world. They were eight months and 20 countries into the trip when they made the stop in Tanzania. Scott built a blog and community of thousands of people around the world known as Live Your Legend. Scott's TEDx talk on finding and doing work you love has been watched nearly three million times. Scott deeply believed we could all change the world simply by doing work we love. If you're not familiar with Scott's work, Check out the show notes for this episode at fizzleshow.co slash 128. You'll find links to his site and his TED Talk, along with tributes from me and others. I'm lucky to have known Scott for the past five years. We first met at a blogger meetup I hosted in San Francisco. I helped Scott rebrand and relaunch his first blog, and Live Your Legend was the result. Our working relationship quickly turned into friendship and I counted him among my very closest friends. Scott was full of life, always exuberant, always positive, always so supportive and charming and caring. He lived more in 33 years than the rest of us can hope to live in our whole lives. I'm going to miss Scott deeply for the fun times we had, and especially for the long conversations we shared about life and business and everything in between. We met regularly for tea or cocktails, and often over Skype when we weren't in the same place. We were both trying to find the answer to what it means to live a fulfilling life and how to build a meaningful business. Fortunately, several of those conversations were recorded for various projects, and I'll have those forever. In March of this year, Scott and Chelsea visited Jesselyn and me at our winter home in Mexico for a while. In addition to the boat trips and paddleboarding and tequila tasting and late night dance parties, Scott wanted to interview me about creating products, specifically how an entrepreneur would go about creating his or her very first product. This was for a new project that Scott was working on. This was one of the very last long conversations we had together, and I'm going to share it with you today. In this session, we got into thoughts about deciding to make a product, what kind of product to make, how to think about moving from a free thing like a blog or a podcast to offering something people could pay for. We also covered plenty of behind-the-scenes details about both Live Your Legend and Fizzle, the fun we had been having that week, and how our relationship got started in the first place. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing this tribute to Scott with me and i'll be back after the conversation to wrap things up we're live oh we're rolling yeah i mean you can always you know trim the beginning <laughs> or the end it's technology is amazing these days what uh what level are we talking about what kind of like volume enunciation is this kind of like yeah good? you're good because you know sometimes like you get, we can get kind of like into it and like yeah you gets, can get you know... excited if you want to it's fine it's fine <laughs> all right i'll try not to get too excited but uh all right. 
Well, we should probably just get into it. We probably should. All right. So we'll start right now. Okay, let's do it. So, <laughs> All right, guys. So we got Corbett Bar right here. We are in Mexico, deep south. Yeah. Deep. We are, I won't say exactly where. We're a little beach town, secluded beach town. Pacific coast. You come to, what, this is sixth year? Uh, yeah, this is our seventh winter season here. Wow. So Chelsea and I are, what, two months into our world tour. We stopped here for four nights to surf, hang out. Have some fun. Yep. And see where it all started for you. You started your first blog here, like right down the street on the beach. Right, right? down the street here in uh, March of 2009. My uh, sixth year of blogging anniversary is now, I it's guess. like now. Right We're celebrating now. it yeah. right now. Essentially, we are, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I love doing this. Like we sit down right now, actually, to set the stage. We're looking out on the ocean right now. You have this apartment you rent or condo, whatever, every year for three months to avoid winter. Yep. Lifestyle Design 101. You got you it. You figured it out. Yep. Uh, and it's fun because I met you on a tweet up. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's hanging out on Twitter. Chelsea made fun of me when I uh, first did that. Well, it's not hanging out on Twitter. It's sorry. Uh, it's meeting. It's meeting IRL after you hang <laughs> in, out on Twitter. Yeah, in real life, I've actually used, never used that acronym. Okay, yeah. So, in the mission in San Francisco, or in, as Chase likes to say, in meat space. In, yeah, I'm not that big fan of that word, but yeah. Meat space? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Instead of cyberspace. Right, I get yeah. it, I get it. So yeah, I tracked you down and met in the San Francisco. Chelsea made fun of me for going to it. Um, but then like, we worked together and built Live Your Legend for like, that was, that was when Reading for Success became Live Your Legend, relaunched it from your strategy and also your design and coding work, which is an interesting combination just, to have. You were just a boy back then. It was, whew, it was a long time times ago. Times have changed. Were you even married then? <laughs> I think I had just gotten married. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. Something like that. But yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is crazy because now like we're meeting you on this trip. This trip is only possible because of kind of the lifestyle that Live Your Legend has now provided and kind of how it's been set up. So it's... It's it, kind of come full circle. It's come full circle. Yeah. So <laughs> we're glad to have you finally. It took a while to get you down here. But it did. It took a while. It took but, you embarking on a world trip, I think. Well, and then slotting us in. Right, and then making our way to a three-hour flight from yeah. our hometown. But and hopefully we'll see you somewhere else around the world. Indeed. I hear, the, uh, Italy. I, hear, I hear the Live Your Legend meetups have been pretty epic so far. We've, we've had a lot of fun. We've saw, we saw people in a lot of countries down south, so, and we got a lot in Europe, so it's going to be a good, a good run. So this is, uh, this is supposed to be raw, right? Yes. Yeah, so how, how raw do you like it? Well, see, I get nervous when you talk about that because... <laughs> I mean, at least we're not filming this yesterday after the tequila tasting. Yeah, but. we could have been at a dance club or something. <laughs> no, I mean, the point, is, so the point of this is like for people who are building things, trying to figure it out, and really like, mainly like in the beginning stages, like getting started. And you know that stuff super well. I mean, you built your new thing for people who don't know. I mean, Corbett's thing, Fizzle, which is like pretty much just built for getting, turning people into online entrepreneurs, I guess, right? Yep. And, and it's like a whole set of training and stuff. And a lot of people have heard about it because... I pretty much learned all of that from you in building Live Your Legend before Fizzle existed, which um, whether you knew it or not, I was kind of a test subject, which... No, you absolutely were. And I think about that um, often. I mean, whenever you're building something, you have to have some experience that you're going on um, in terms of creating the product. A lot of times I encourage people to do freelancing or coaching or consulting of some sort so that they can help someone through a problem using any means necessary and then learn from that right. experience and then turn that into a product that can serve more than just one person or more than just you know the people that you can handle as a service. Right. And um, the work that we do at Fizzle now, which is essentially this community and training library for entrepreneurs, 
the um, strategies and techniques that we've learned and, and implemented inside of Fizzle are a direct result of the work that I did with you and other people, you know, three, four, five years ago when I was doing services or when I was taking on mentorship roles or coaching roles or whatever. Right. Yeah, I love that because starting, and we talk about this a lot in Delivery Legend, that the best way or fastest way to make the first dollar doing something you're good at is to work one-on-one. One, you don't need to create an actual product. You can actually just offer your service. You can right. actually make money from it like tomorrow if you had the right yep. fit. You don't have to like build some big thing. Um, and it's really the only way to learn how to specifically deal with problems that people have. Um, so now it's also interesting because it's not scalable. Yep. You know, like you, I mean, you only have so many hours in a day. So yep. a lot of people um, sometimes get all enamored by the online business stuff and they're like, oh, like I want to, you know, have this passive income, whatever. They start using all these buzzwords that are, um, one, not very realistic and, and I think misrepresented to people on the online world, but also they forget that like they're all just tools, right? Like building a course, building Fizzle, that's just a tool for helping people with the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Yeah, exactly. It's um, easy, I think, when you are the entrepreneur who wants to earn an income to think of products as these things that serve you. Um, but in reality, huh, a product is, is exactly what you said. It's a tool that helps solve a problem for someone. And even to take a step back before you even create a product, I think many of us are trying to build an audience around some sort of topic by creating content, by creating a blog or a podcast or videos or audio series like you're doing right now or whatever. Um, and in order to build an audience effectively, you have to solve a problem. The reason that we build an audience before we build a product isn't necessarily just so that we have people uh, who will eventually buy our products when we create them. It's also so that we can workshop our ideas and refine our ideas about what problems do people have and how can I solve them and what are they interested in. It's really a way of getting in touch with your customers um, so that you can build something for them right. because the, really the greatest risk, and I think this is something we're going to get into because you wanted to talk about people you know, creating their first product or whatever. The greatest risk as an entrepreneur is that you're going to spend many months, sometimes years, building something only to find out that nobody wants it, Yeah. right? <laughs> and, and the old way of doing business um, was exactly that, to, there's this myth of the, the inventor or of the entrepreneur as this person who goes away into a lab and tinkers on an idea and then emerges with this perfectly polished thing that they unleash to the world and, uh, oh, aren't we all lucky, lucky to have been graced by the genius from right. this entrepreneur or this inventor? Um, but in reality, that's a recipe for failure. And the reason that businesses fail is because they end up making something that nobody wants. Right. So your job is to make something that people want. And the best way to accomplish that is by talking to people before you make the thing to find out what are you struggling with? Um, what have you tried to, to solve this problem? How do you think I could help you with this problem? Like, what would you be most interested in buying as a solution to this problem? Right. And, well, what's interesting about that is, one, I think it's this weird kind of, uh, I don't know if conundrum is the right word, but, like, when you're building something, like, it's, you're helping people with an expertise, something that you're uniquely good at, right? You have these talents, strengths, passions, whatever, that you can help people with. But that can often make people think that, okay, I'm the expert, so I know. But you actually still doesn't mean that you know what someone actually really needs. You know how to solve a problem, but you need to know how to actually 
address it properly by talking with the people who have the problem. And so, yeah. and that never changes. Like, you guys are always talking to people at, at Fizzle, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you first need to know what the problem is. Right. Right? And, yeah. and sometimes that requires getting to the root of something that's not apparent on the surface. So for example, if um, you were in uh, fitness and, and nutrition and you wanted to help people, a certain group of people, let's say, you wanted to help them change their eating habits, um, there are a lot of different things that could be causing that problem of having bad eating habits. It could be a lack of time, mm. a lack of knowledge about what I need to be eating. Um, some weird emotional things could be going on. There's all kinds of different reasons. And so, uh, you know, I could go and create some diet solution for people that could maybe make a really quick diet so that it's easy, you know, uh, so that the time isn't an issue. But it could turn out that there's these emotional things happening. And so my diet doesn't address that somehow. Uh, and so, you know, again, by building it without talking to people, I run the risk of unleashing this thing on the world and finding out that nobody wants to buy it. And you try to be often too, like, logical with it. Like, for the diet thing, it's easy. Like, everyone knows, oh, yeah, you lose weight by eating less and working out more or whatever. But, like, there are so many things psychologically that screw people up and keep them from being able to do that. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're able to tell them the simple answer of eating less and, exactly. And, you know, you have to actually help them through the emotional issues, or whatever. Same with entrepreneurship. There are so many. We use that seated... all the time with entrepreneurship. It's like the the how to build a business is so simple. You solve a problem. <laughs> you know, create something that people want and charge a fair price for it. Essentially, um, but just because it's easy to understand doesn't mean it's easy to execute. Right. And and that's great for us as entrepreneurs because. It means there are opportunities there. Because even though you can describe how to build a business in a couple of sentences, um, it doesn't mean that there aren't needs that people have because people have all these different hangups. Maybe they, um, maybe they don't have enough time because they work a day job. Maybe their family doesn't understand their drive to become an entrepreneur. Um, maybe there are some technical things that they don't understand. Maybe they don't know other people who are entrepreneurs for you know to get support from. Maybe they don't don't know where to hire people that they need for you know different roles um, right. within their business or whatever. There are all kinds of different needs that people have, and uh, and our jobs are to solve those things. And yeah, and if you don't talk to people, you just assume. I, the assumption thing comes up nonstop without us even knowing it, you know, until you get out and talk to people, you don't, you don't really realize how much you're taken for granted until yeah. someone tells you the most simple, what might even seem like a silly challenge that they have where it's just reality. If you don't address that challenge, you won't be able to actually get them to use your tools to, to help solve the real problems. Yep. Um, and what's interesting, and we're going to, I want to talk specifically about kind of doing your first product, but what we've just talked about never ends you know like i mean like when we launched the new live your legend which was like a few months ago and you and chase um worked with me on creating the whole new site and stuff but it wasn't just a, a cosmetic change that was like that was part of one of the results but really it was like to really hone in on how we're helping people and you guys were really adamant about me interviewing i forget i think it was like 18 or 17 people for like 45 minutes or something on skype one-on-one -on -one. and one of the core things that came out of it was they all said a few of the exact same phrases. And one was, I've already figured out what I'm excited about, what I, what I care about, how I can help people. How do I build that into something and make some money from it and into a business? And that's where Live Your Legend Raw came out of. And actually a specific guy who um, I know has been listening to a lot of these is Matias, who is in Salt, Argentina. And we, he was like one of our main avatars. Who He's gone through all of it. He's done some incredible things. He's building a business. Um, and he said, he's like, 
Levy Legend isn't now addressing my problems anymore because I'm just further yep. along. And so it's been really fun then to, to realize, okay, let's fill that void with um, what we're doing with Levy Legend Raw. Now this is just the beginning. What's, what's interesting is that as we've created it and as we've produced it for people, you get feedback and you, you continue to like hone it and modify it. And I never would have even thought of this if I didn't have those interviews that you guys were so adamant about and um, that I had never even, I didn't even think about that part of the problem that like Matias brought up. So uh, it just, it's nice that when in doubt and trying to figure out what to do next, you just go back out and, and talk with more people. And talk to customers, potential customers. Right. And, and to put it in you know, real terms for people listening to this who maybe are just getting started or yeah. maybe don't have the luxury of calling 18 customers, you know, because they don't have customers. Right. Um, it can be as simple as talking to people who you think might have your, the problem that you're trying to address, um, who aren't necessarily even readers of your blog or people who don't listen to your podcast or whatever it is. Um, you just need to find some people, regardless of where they are, and talk to those people as long as, as long as you believe that they're in your target market, whatever that is. If yeah. they're, if there are, you know, if, again, if you're in fitness and, and nutrition or whatever, um, just find people who are struggling with the same things that you want to try to address. And, you know, that could be as simple as, let's say you have a blog with a few articles and you've gotten a couple of comments. It could be as simple as writing the people who left those comments and say, hey, um, would you mind if uh, we jumped on a call for 20 minutes? I have a few questions and, you know, it would really help me out. And just do anything you can to get on the phone with some people who have the actual, uh, who struggle with some things that you think you could help with. Right, which is again, what comes back to spending that time one-on-one -on -one or in the real world, like, and actually hearing yeah. these people's problems. It, could, it could involve like going to conferences. Like if you don't have an audience, you know, go to a conference that's around your topic and just start talking to people. Start mm -hmm. talking to people about problems that they have. Right, okay, so then let's like talk about specifically like, well, a couple days ago we were having coffee at your, at your friend's coffee shop down the street here. And we were talking with Chelsea, my wife, about her. She has the Simple Kitchen. She has her this awesome plant-based recipe blog and, and stuff that she's been working hard on. And she's, she's like, well, I, you know, I don't really know what I do as like my first product. And a lot of people will, you hear that a lot. And I think, my guess is, I think you hear it from people, not because they really don't necessarily have a clue what to do next. It's more like, it's, it's pretty scary and it's you, to figure out like, where am I going to put my stake in the ground first? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be the right decision? Whatever. Yeah. Um, so if you're in that situation where like you have, you have an audience, you know how you're helping people. You, it's not like you're trying to figure out what am I good at? You got that sorted. You know, you know, yeah. you know the value you're adding to people. Um, and, and maybe you've even spent some time with people one-on-one -on -one and, and already addressed some of the, uh, the first steps of like doing consulting or coaching. Um, or you're kind of in that phase where you can now want to like create an actual product from that what how do you go about like sorting out like what is that first step there to, to decide to go from like just putting value out into the world to like bam like this is what you can get from me well i i would spend a little bit of time thinking about what's preventing you from doing it in the first place so mm. there are you know a lot of different things that might be roadblocks um it could be that you feel like there's one right answer for the product that i need to create first and you're searching for the perfect product What's the, what's the correct thing to build first? And the truth is there is no right answer and nobody really has an idea. I mean, you might, you might be able to narrow it down and say, okay, I have these five different ideas and of those five, it feels like this one or this one are the right thing to do. But you're never gonna know with certainty that it's, that it's the ideal first product to build. Right. Um, the second thing is, I think that it's fun to play business 
mm-hmm. without ever um, really proving if you have a business or not. So, you know, when you create your first product, you're going from everything's in the future, it's all possibility. You know, I could be this big success story. And what you're doing is um, you're putting something out there and the rubber's gonna meet the road and you're gonna see whether or not people are actually gonna buy this thing. And if, what if nobody buys it? It's a really scary proposition. Then all of a sudden, maybe it means that the past six months or the past year that I've spent building this blog was a total waste because I've been doing all this stuff and it turns out it was just a hobby. It's not even a business, you know? Yeah. And I think that goes through people's minds as well. Um, like just confronting the reality of that. Yeah. You might act not actually have something exactly worth offering. Yeah. And as long as you'd never put a product out, you always get to just live this future scenario in your mind of, well, one day I'll put a product out and it's going to, you know. Because when you think, because there's, I see there's like two different phases. There's like community building and then there's like business building and they're, they're very interrelated. But mm-hmm. at first you can only really focus your energy on like one thing. I feel like, like really focus. Like you can do other things like, you know, on the side, but like in terms of working on the business, like for me, for Leverage, when it was Reading for Your Success at first, it was all about building community, guest posting, doing the stuff to like build up the audience. Yep. Um, but as I did that, and it reached, you know, a few thousand subscribers, 5,000, even 10,000 subscribers, still wasn't really making any money. But I had dedicated pretty much no effort to the product creation right. phase. You know, I remember one time you told me, you noticed some, like a bunch of comments on one, asked the reader post I had, you're like, Scott, you need to create a product like you needed like you built the audience that's great but like rubber meets the road like let's do something yep. here and I was freaking terrified yep. like because it's just like what you just said I guess it's like you whenever it comes to like actually making someone vote in some very specific way like with their wallet for example like yep. it, it it's just scary <laughs> it is scary but you know if if you think about most businesses like Think about a product like Coca-Cola or something, uh, or like a new craft beer or whatever. Uh, if, if I was going to go create a new craft beer, um, I wouldn't spend two years building an audience first and then come out with the beer. And I wouldn't be scared to come out with the beer eventually. Um, I mean, I would. You'd be apprehensive or whatever, make sure that people are going to buy it. But in general, a business like that comes out with the product first. Mm. Um, and you know, hopefully they have done uh, you know market research and and customer interviews and things like that to figure out what sort of beer to build. Right. But for some reason, in our world, we get caught up in this idea of the audience almost as if the audience is the primary thing, and ultimately the customers are the primary thing. You're trying to help people solve a problem, but there's this hamster wheel that people get on in with content creation in that it's, it's very difficult to build a blog or to build a podcast and to do it well. And you know, there's no question that that could be your full-time job. But you can't forget that the reason we create blogs and podcasts and things in the first place is ultimately so that we have a well of customers, potential customers, who will ultimately buy our products. I'm, and I'm just talking about in the case of you know, people who are trying to build a business, right. um, which I assume is what you know, the people that we're talking yeah, to yeah, right now. Sure. And so, you know, if, if you're trying to build a, a business and you're using content as a way to build an audience, you have to remember that it's just a means to an end. You can't get caught up in like only creating the content forever. You eventually have to build a product. And that's where, you know, I really like people to start off um, almost thinking of it as I'm doing these things simultaneously, 
not as if it's step one, build audience, step two, build product, because step one is never complete. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. still building an audience today, even though it's For been sure. six years. Right. So really, you have to think of it as they're overlapping, and you kind of go back and forth. You know, yeah. you build the audience a little, you build some product. You build right. the audience, you build some product. One gets more attention than the other at, at different times, but it, I mean, audience building is is hard. Um, I mean, it takes work, but I think it's it's almost the easy way out to just say, oh, I'm just building my audience and building my audience because there's no risk there. There's no risk in being rejected. Yep. You know, because people just will show up or they don't. More will show up. Maybe some days, maybe some won't. But like, it's not like I launched something and the ultimate fear is zero people bought it. Yeah, you and know? you know, the thing is, um, don't forget that your blog or your podcast is free. Right. And um, people will, you know, consume free stuff, but the real test is will they pay for it? And it's, I mean, it's a good initial hurdle to say, okay, can I at least uh, address a problem in a way that people will pay attention to if it's free? That's good right. to know. If you can't do that, you might have bigger problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, if your goal is to support yourself, <laughs> you have to make an offer of some sort where people can trade you money for the value you're providing. Right, yeah, and if you, so I guess if you start simultaneously, um, are you saying that you would have something available to buy like right in the beginning? I would be looking at it as though I'm building an audience basically to test my hypothesis about what kind of product I can create. So have yeah. an idea, so when you start out, let's say, so for example, um, I started a blog in 2010 called Think Traffic. And before I launched the blog, I made this whole plan in my mind. Okay, I'm going to address a specific problem, which in this case was um, people who wanted to grow audiences, who wanted to figure out how to grow an audience online. I was going to build an audience around that problem. And after I grew the audience to a certain size and I was able to interact with these people and find out whether or not I'm able to solve that problem well, then I would build a product that that corresponded with that and that product was called Traffic School and I had the name and the concept for the product before I launched the blog. And so then it was, you know, a matter of get the blog off the ground, grow the audience, but within 3 or 6 months of doing that, I started working on the product. Yeah. Like fairly quickly. Um, and I got so much more traction with that and it led to such better income results for me than with other projects I had done because it was so intentional that way. And you probably started talking about it sooner um, since you had it in your mind that you were gonna be building that out. Um, I'm guessing it came up in some of your writing and things like that and interactions with people before the product was actually yep. available, right? So exactly. like people get the idea that this is not just some like free for all, which yep. I think is, is really important because if you train someone uh, that your stuff's all free, one, it'll be hard for them to buy something when it's released, but also people value stuff at, unfortunately, what, what they pay for it, you know, for better or for worse. So yeah. like if, um, if all your stuff is for free, people are much less likely to actually put it to use and yeah. get results. So I think it's, it's, a lot of times people are scared to offer something, uh, like charge something um, for their products or whatever, because one, they don't want people to buy it, or they're afraid people won't buy it, but also because, um, there's like, oh, I don't want to like put them out or whatever it is. You know, there's all these things we convince ourselves yep. of. But as it turns out, like if you really want to get results for someone, they need to most likely they're going to need to pay for something because then they will actually take it more seriously. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. Something I agree. At stake. I agree. I think I think there's something to that. Um, 
But so, you know, thinking about, uh, we were talking earlier about like, you know, getting stuck and not being able to come up with an idea for a product. Um, in, in Chelsea's case, for example, you mentioned, well, I don't know what I should create for my first product. That's something that people um, say quite a bit. Um, you know, you need to, if, that's fine if that's your hurdle. So your goal is to create a product, and the hurdle right now is, I don't know what to create. Well, it's not as if just out of thin air, this idea is going to come to you for the perfect product. You have to think to yourself, okay, the hurdle in front of me is that I don't know what product to create. How can I get over that hurdle? And if you're just going to keep doing what you're doing, hoping that one day inspiration is going to come, then that fits Einstein's definition of insanity, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yep. So if, good if, quote there. if you want to get right over out. that hurdle, you need to try some other things. And what we were saying earlier is the best way to figure out what to build is to talk to the people who might potentially buy it, right? right. Um, if you think about it, if you got a new job, you wouldn't uh, just head to your desk and just start making things <laughs> without talking to your boss, right? right. <laughs> hey boss, you know, thanks for hiring me. What can I do for you, right? Your boss is your customer in that case. Yep. So in Chelsea's case or anybody else's case, um, the next step is to start talking to people to say, hey, you know, what did you think about those recipes I made? Or, hey, um, you know, what could I do to make this even more useful to you? How about some meal plans or, you know, toss out ideas and see what really resonates with people. And the only thing you can do is go on the information that you have, the available information. And it may not be perfect, but if you get responses from several people and a couple of people say the same thing, that's better than just throwing a dart at a dartboard. At least right. this way, you're like, okay, well, Bob and Sally both seem to really want meal plans, so I'm going to make a little guide with meal plans. Or better yet, you know what? Hey, Bob, you said you wanted meal plans. Um, would you mind if I just threw some together for you to use over the next month and you give me some feedback? Right. And, and that's before building a product, you know? And so you're working one-on-one with somebody. Or that is stage one of building the product, really, because exactly. you're creating something for somebody yep. based on what they asked for. Yep. Um, so then I think part of the problem is People will, and I was in the same place. It's like, well, what would it, how would I even offer it? Like, what you get, there's so many uh, decisions people think they need to make to get something out. They're like, okay, you say you do a meal plan. Is it a membership? Is it a, I don't know, is it like a a download or is it, um, you know, a set of audio things, whatever? Like, there's all these different mediums and different ways you can do it. You've tried all different types of products um, in different formats and all that kind of stuff. I think I know what I'd say to this, but like what, if you're talking about like actual like format of something that's not just a one-on-one service, what, how do you think you'd go about figuring that out? Well, and first of all, um, you know, all of these, all of these decisions, what product do I make? What format does it take? When do I launch it? You know, how much do I price it? All this stuff. Every single decision point is a hurdle and it represents friction between you today and you having a product out there for sale with paying customers. Right. And uh, every one of those decisions takes time and it also presents an opportunity for you to get stuck entirely. Because you can eventually go, oh, should it be a you know, download or should it be a membership site or whatever? And then suddenly you're off on this tangent for the next <laughs> two months researching what's the best uh, format and you know, meanwhile, um, life happens, and you get stuck, and you know, you never get the product out. Right. Um, or you know, your other people who weren't spending so much time 
working on this idea, they end up um, they end up actually just putting something out, and then they can iterate. They can say, you know, there, so there are these different kinds of entrepreneurs. But what I've noticed is there are entrepreneurs who spend a lot of time dwelling on every little decision, trying to make the perfect, come up with the perfect answer. Then there are other kinds of entrepreneurs who just do shit and see what works and move on. And what ends up happening is while you're spending all this time optimizing for the perfect decision, the person who just did a bunch of stuff and got it out there, those are the ones that make more progress yeah. um, because the truth is you're never going to have the right answer. You might be dwelling on is it you know as an ebook or membership site or audio book or whatever, what's perfect. Um, you're never going to know, mm-hmm. and um, if you just put the thing out there and learned and moved on from there, um, you're just you're going to end up making more progress. So, um, you know, and I think the the Pareto principle works here. Spend you know a few hours making that decision instead of a few weeks, and you're going to get eighty percent of the way towards the the optimum decision anyway. Yeah. So anyway, you were you were talking about like what's what's best for your first product? Well. Again, I think what's best for your first product is probably services because it's just easy to get out the door. Yep. Beyond doing services, um, really it depends on your audience and what your audience wants and what kind of problem you're solving. So if I'm doing uh, something in fitness, then probably video is going to make sense. Audio doesn't make a whole lot of sense for fitness. Mm. Um, people need to see what the, the moves look like or whatever. Right. Um, so you know, consider your audience and what they really need. Consider your abilities. If you don't know how to produce video at all, um, you know, just consider like how big of a hurdle is that going to be for you having to learn that because that's another thing that's going to delay right. getting your thing so out. It's more friction. Yeah, um, I have uh, I've done everything from you know selling eBooks to uh, selling audio to selling coaching to selling group coaching to membership sites to um, big expensive memberships you know that are lifetime versus monthly memberships. All kinds of stuff. I mean, we're and, talking prices from 20, 30 bucks all the way up to a thousand. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, really, the way that I arrived at um, the decision to to build Fizzle, which is now a, a flat monthly membership, so Fizzle is a thirty five dollar a month membership, versus selling you know thousand dollar product or something, um, ended up being um, a lot of it was personal and mental. I like to sell something at a lower price and earn my customers month after month versus selling something up front at a really high price and then basically trying to prevent them from asking for a refund or leaving mm. or whatever, which is kind of how a lot of those expensive membership sites end up feeling. Uh, and there's like, a lot of stress or like from a lifestyle perspective. I mean, there's just, we've both been through big launches and yeah, yeah they can make really big money and do and, and do really well for uh, the community, the people who buy them and all that, but it's intense. Like that month or whatever is gnarly. Yeah, you know? it, it is gnarly just because, you know, so instead of earning, like right now, we just earn payments every month from our customers. Uh, what you're saying is with a launch model, you might open a launch twice a year. And so you're earning all of your revenue in two chunks. Yeah. And it's really stressful because if the launch goes really well, your year is off to a great start. If the launch fails for some reason, which they do, then suddenly you're like, crap, what do I do now? Because I didn't earn the income that I hoped I was And a failed launch could be totally out of your control too, right? You know, who knows? Random things could happen. And let's just make a quick note to paint the picture. Corbett's talking about this with his arms up behind his head, wearing a Hawaiian shirt, looking out 
the window on the ocean as he talks about a stress-free revenue model. So yeah, exactly. That's sort of that's my goal is <laughs> is to um, to keep my business stress as low as possible. I just I, I mean a little bit of you know feeling um, some pressure is okay, but in general for long term, you know, I make a lot of my decisions based on what sort of stress is it going to cause me and how inconvenient would this business model be versus another business model? And I think because my, my goal is not purely money. I think there are people out there who are just very money driven and that's, that's fine, whatever, that's their prerogative and they would make decisions differently. Right. You know? And we've talked about this, how you, you, you said, well, from a big launch model, it's, it's possible I could be making more money from it, but, but what's the trade-off? Is it worth, it's also might be a short-term versus long-term trade-off, but also at some point, it's not about the extra dollar, it's about the extra dollar versus the enjoyment factor of the extra dollar, right? Yeah. Which is a, it's a more advanced way to look at, uh, more advanced me- metric, you know? Yeah. And it's harder to measure. Yeah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, very important. I've gotten to that same, same point too, where it's, I mean, this year we're doing much less of the big launch thing. One, because I'm on the road and it's almost impossible with the unpredictable internet and all that kind of stuff. But also like last year, I got to a point where I was like, down to like the felt in terms of stress like it was yeah which is weird because Liberty Legend good. was at a peak in terms of its growth and on all levels like it was great and revenue and everything but it was like I just told myself I remember telling Chelsea I can't keep doing it like this you when, know? and when you get to that point as an entrepreneur where um, or not even just as an entrepreneur but just as a human you get to that point where you're constantly stressed out you're just on that edge of burnout where any little thing can set you off, you know, it can throw your right. whole world into a tizzy because you just don't have the coping abilities right? Which for is, the stress. And um, that's just not a healthy way to live. That doesn't make you happy. Yeah, it turns out it's extremely unhealthy. And there's like yeah. more and more data to support that. You know, right. it's like that actually, stress is one of the worst things for you. Right, like an actual like physical killer. So it's a big deal. Um, so, and it's, it's interesting to see how your progression has been because I mean now your your model is so simple that you have one product and it's only was it 35 bucks mm-hmm. right per month and I mean the for anyone who's I know a lot of people listening have, have probably experienced fizzle but it's I mean it's you could easily say it's worth many hundreds of dollars a month with how much you guys put into it and like I mean you it's unbelievably high quality it's it's awesome um, there's other people who sell products that are a few thousand dollars um, mm-hmm. that are trying to solve the same yeah same issues you guys are um, but you guys, I'm, I'm sure, have thought of ideas where you could tack on other things and have, you know, other premium options as well. But you seem to keep it. So far, you've kept it to. Yeah. In fact, we launched with um, two different price points. We had a uh, a basic and a, a premium mm-hmm. level, and the difference was that you got, you know, some additional things if you you were in the premium level. And um, we decided to consolidate everything because uh, of a couple of things. One is it made our business less complicated to have just one, um, one price point, one level of membership. And also we felt like it fit our brand more to have one level because um, we you know, essentially created Fizzle as a reaction to all of these expensive you know, th- multi-thousand dollar um, information products that people purchase. And um, we you know, made Fizzle inexpensive, we also our tagline is honest online business training because we're trying to be as transparent as possible. And um, it just felt like having two different price points was sort of an artificial um, delineation mm-hmm. because it was, you know, essentially like you get these other kinds of videos if you, if you pay the extra price or whatever. 
Um, and uh, and so again, that was a that was a decision made based on how uh, it would simplify the business. And I never regret those decisions. I think whenever you can opt for simplicity, it's it's a beautiful thing. Tell me about it. God, and you guys now can just focus all your energy on this one thing, which is and just pour all of your development efforts and all that kind of stuff into one thing. And like I look at it and. Definitely in some ways in some serious envy because Live Your Legend has, I don't know how many products we have now. I mean, let's say there's, depends on how you slice it, but let's say there's like six different things, which means six different sales pages, six different like funnels or whatever, how you communicate to somebody. You know, when do you tell someone about something and not about something else? How do you keep them from being confused of what to buy and what not to buy? Like, sure, these are high class problems to have. Like we have products, people buy them and they, they help people in these different ways, but shit, it's, it, it gives me a headache to even... Think about how to properly like build out the proper customer journey map or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Of like you know how do you introduce things to people along the right way? And um, right now, if I could probably flip a switch and have it all just be in behind one thing, I would probably flip it. You know, yeah. Because <laughs> it just it because it, oh, it's complex. And you have to be careful with those little decisions because um, you know just think about it in your business how many things exist today because of some little decision that you know you made three years ago. Yeah. And um, you know, that's where I think having a, a framework for decision-making helps as well. Yep. So if you can say to yourself, you know, an important thing for my business in any decision that I make is simplicity as a factor, mm. then um, that helps you make consistent decisions over time. It also helps you make decisions faster. And one of the things we have to do as entrepreneurs is make decisions, um, you know, readily. We can't dwell on them forever. Um, and... Yeah. And so having a framework, you know, to say these are the things that are important to me and to my business, um, you know, like for me, for example, I know that money doesn't matter as much as other things like freedom and simplicity and having fun with the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I make a decision, you know, like which model should I choose for this product or whatever, um, then it's less likely that I'm going to get stuck on that decision because I know what goes in the pros list and I know what goes in the cons yeah. list. Um, I think a lot of people don't really know. They're like, well, this is recurring monthly revenue. Is that a positive or a negative thing? Um, you know. And if you don't know, then you'll just kind of make decisions based on the easiest thing to like objectively look at. Like that happens to people in jobs all the time. It's like you can't really measure happiness very easily. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can't measure like fulfillment and enjoyment and stress levels. So we just measure money and status, and then bam, we make decisions based on that. And totally. it almost always sends us down this path that is totally not us. And of course, the best way to sort that out is to really know your values, right? And what matters most. It's almost like you just described, you also need to know your values for your business, mm -hmm. right? And so having that, I never thought of it like that, like having that set of values criteria um, for making those decisions, um, it seems completely obvious. I just have never looked at it in that light, Yeah. which is why I like to hang out with you, Yeah. among other reasons. But uh, the, the dance club. The dance club last night was That's, that's mostly <laughs> we, I mean, we went, so Corbett did the worm last night at yeah. about... What, 1230? Well, you did a handstand in a, in a dance club. I did a handstand across the dance floor. You did the worm yep. against two Mexican gentlemen yep. that were battling with us. They were pretty good. We had a, a full-on hip-hop <laughs> uh, dance battle. We did. I've never actually had a dance battle, let alone oh, you never at a have? small beach town in Mexico. No. Oh. You should uh, hang out more. So you've done a lot of that? Yeah. I mean, not a lot, but... Well, I didn't see it coming, but uh, it, uh, you know, when you're thinking about business models, generally... It, turns to dance competitions and exactly. stuff like that. I don't even know how that came up, but it was a good night, neither here nor there. Um, so, okay, so we have a criteria and, and values for making a decision on like 
what type of business we want to build, which it's, it's so much easier to say that as you've already built something and, and you get to know like what you've thrown against the wall and what sticks based on what fits with customers, but also what fits with your lifestyle. Like I would have never thought I would be intentionally saying, you know what, I'm just not up for making that extra X amount of money because I know it's going to make me sacrifice you know, why over here with Chelsea, time with Chelsea or whatever, yeah. you know? Well, and that's the thing where, um, you know, they've done a lot of studies to show that happiness is maximized at a certain level of income, which is not really it's a that lot high. lower than you'd it's think. It's a lot lower than you think. I think, it, and it, of course, depends on where you live. But if you're an American, I think it's $70,000 or yeah, something a year. Yeah, which is so much lower than most people think. You know? Right. And as an entrepreneur, it's not all that difficult to get to that point. Um, you know, I think which sounds crazy to most people who are at zero, right? right? It of sounds. Course. I mean, I couldn't have imagined going from zero to seventy thousand. Right, right. Of course, that's true, and not to not to belittle it because it's not completely easy. But um, you know, it's it's difficult to build a ten million dollar business to build a business that earns you seventy thousand dollars a year. Um, I think you know a lot of people are capable of doing that, especially if it's just you know offering services or whatever. Right. But um, what that means is that you have a lot more latitude to make decisions based on what's going to make you truly happy and, and to feel fulfilled than you think you do. Because mm. your goal isn't, especially in the beginning, you're not trying to build a $10 million business. You're trying to maximize your personal happiness and, and freedom. And um, just knowing that the bar for income is much lower than you think it is. Especially, you know, I, I um, for a long time, because I was a Fortune 500 consultant, you get this idea in your head that you need two, three hundred thousand dollars a year to live comfortably because that's kind of the carrot that they dangle in front of you right. when you're working your way up the corporate ladder and working your face off and working your face off and working seventy hours a, a week or whatever. Um, maybe you do need to earn two or three hundred thousand dollars a year if your goal is, um, you know, to have the three cars in the driveway and the huge mortgage and the uh, 2.5 kids and sending your kids to private school and all that kind of stuff that everybody ends up kind of doing when they work in that corporate world. And I guess I never assumed that I could live on less than that. But when I became an entrepreneur, uh, there were a couple of periods where I lived on savings for a while. And when you live on savings, you really learn how to do with less. Mm. And um, there were a couple of years where even though Jesslyn and I lived in San Francisco, um, I think we spent less than $50,000 a year yeah. uh, the first year when I was an entrepreneur. That's then, in San Francisco That too. was in San Francisco. The next time when we were traveling um, throughout Mexico, we were on an eight-month-long sabbatical road trip. Um, we weren't earning any income because I was basically starting over and uh, had started a blog. I think that year we lived on like $38,000 or something. Yeah, for two people. For two people. And, and that is one of the happiest years of our entire life. Um, and you were doing the kind of thing that most people spend their whole life dreaming about doing once they have enough money to do it. Right. Right. And you did right. it for $38,000. And that's the thing, yeah. To, you know, the idea of um, this, just people think that retirement is this future, like, someday event. Right. Um, and you get there and you don't have your health or whatever, or you uh, burn so many bridges in your life that you don't have friends and family that you're really close to anymore. Yeah. Or you maybe don't even make it to there for yeah. whatever crazy, weird Absolutely. thing that could happen. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so to like go back to like the granular thing. So we're talking about having the um, like first first product, figuring something out. I think one thing we didn't touch on yet, which is incredibly important, I think helps remove a lot of the friction. And I love this idea of friction because I think that is the name of the game. It's like greasing the wheels as much yes. as possible. 
And with what you kind of just said, like as an entrepreneur, you can pick which game you play in, right? So like if you are, I don't know, if video is not your thing, then obviously don't start with video. If you have some weird fear of the camera, I don't know, whatever. Eventually you'll probably need to get over that anyway. But my point is like you can pick the battle you want to you fight. Yep. Um, but this idea of modeling, I think for me has been totally priceless. Like anytime I think of like, okay, what am I going to do next? Yeah, I talk to my customers, but then to figure out how to properly like execute on that. Okay, who's already done it that I admire and respect and who has done well with it, yep. right? And as it turns out with the online world, you can get a lot of information on how someone does something by just looking at what they're doing. And maybe you buy their service, you know, and, and check it out or whatever. Or maybe you interview them for a project for right. a podcast or something yeah. and ask them all the questions that you want to ask about how'd you get started? Like, why did you choose this? You know, like we're doing right now. Yeah. And like, how'd you figure out your first product? Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like a lot of people think they need to make it much harder than it has to be. It's hard enough as it is. You yeah. Know? Like, well, and that's the other thing. That's another huge myth about entrepreneurship is that um, all great products are uh, entirely new inventions that people create this, you know, new category of thing. Um, when, you know, in reality, if you look at the biggest startups around today, like Airbnb, that's yep. just a different way to rent rooms right. or Uber. It's just a different way to hire a taxi. You know, mm -hmm. um, these are all just, uh, evolutions of things that were already hu in huge demand, right? The demand for, um, you know, a place to stay or a car to take you somewhere is huge. And so, you know, they decided to enter markets where they knew that there would be customers if they could only serve them in a better way. And for your first time out as an entrepreneur, uh, you would be very wise to simply borrow something that is obviously working for someone else, for some other company, and then just tweak it a little bit. You know, find a, a product out there that solves the problem that you decided, you know, to start your, your business on. And um, just ask yourself, like, if I had made this product, like, how could I have made it just a little bit better, incrementally better? Or who do I feel like it's not addressing right now? Um, for example, our, our mutual friend Steve Cam, yep. uh, he started a blog called Nerd Fitness, and obviously, there are tens and hundreds of thousands of fitness blogs and magazines and things out there. Right. Um, and Steve looked at the fitness world and said, you know, I really. Um, he knew that it was hard for him as a self-identified nerd to find people that he felt could speak to him and his needs, his fitness needs, and could sort of unravel this whole mystery of what fitness is to those kinds of people because you don't identify with the big buff bodybuilders on the, on the magazines or whatever. And so he decided to create a fitness publication for nerds, basically, which sounds simple, but you know, he borrowed something that was working already and just tweaked it a little bit. And now we're seeing that's really working well for him. His business is incredible. Right. Yeah, it's, it's totally blown up. And I think it's just nice that to know that you really, it's, it's probably just the 80-20 thing again. It's like you, you see what other people have done in your space, or maybe even not in, in your space, even if it's not fitness. Like you, like you guys have learned a lot from other people who have had similar fizzle-like models for teaching other things, right? You guys have looked at Treehouse and Linda and like other places yep. that... Um, you're not competing with them head on, you know, but you're, you learned a lot from how they've built. Borrowing their model. Yeah, borrowing yeah. the model. And so that, um, so a model, I think, can be in two different ways. It can be someone who, like, has built something similar in your space that you're looking to build, but maybe adding your own special sauce, your own talents or passions, or something totally unrelated that then you can use to apply to what you're good at. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, 
I think the big point is do not try and do any of this stuff from scratch. It's just, it's, it's silly, right? It's just going to take way too much effort. The friction is going to be so great that you'll probably never start. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like if you um, wanted to build a house, uh, there's no way that you're just going to like, in your own mind, conceive like, well, how do I build a wall? And <laughs> right. like, how does plumbing work? And just try to make it up in your own head. You're going to go buy books and you know read about how to do that. And the same is true of business models. Um, it's very rare for an entirely new business model to be invented. Um, and so, you know, again, as an entrepreneur, your goal is just to get over that first hurdle, which to me is how do I earn enough to support my lifestyle? You can worry about building wealth and legacy and all that kind of stuff later. Your first goal is simply how do I put enough money in my pocket that I can support myself and my family or whatever? And again, that hurdle is not that high. And the fastest way to get over that hurdle is to, um, to use something that's already proven to work for someone else and tweak it for your own purposes, your own audience, right. your own problem. And obviously, if you figure that out and you start making some money from it, it proves that you have something that people are willing to, exactly. to, pay, to pay you for. Yeah. That, that is of value, which again, well, that is a proof of concept. It also is incredible for your confidence. And then everything just snowballs like that. And yeah. That's why it's like you want to get a little and, bit of traction. Yeah. And, and of course, we're not suggesting that people should copy directly. Um, But uh, even, you know, I don't think you would argue that if somebody comes out with a new craft beer that they're copying other craft beers, even though they have, you know, uh, an IPA and a porter and whatever, like the same kinds of beers, you know, it's pretty hard to tell one IPA from another. Right. And yet there are hundreds and hundreds of them out there and nobody faults a new company for coming up with one. Right. Because maybe their branding is slightly different or you know, it's, you know, slightly less bitter or whatever. Um, but all of those different players find uh, customers in that one big market. And same is true for you. Don't feel like a hack because you want to come out with, um, you know, meal plans for busy mothers, even though there are 20 other companies that are doing that. Right. Um, if you can figure out a way to, to tweak it and repackage it in a way that appeals to a group of people that um, like yours more than somebody else's. Right, yeah, based on your brand or your own positioning or who you are. I mean, that's, that's what's neat about this building these types of businesses is a lot of the differentiation comes from who you are mm-hmm. and, and kind of your what that voice. means. Yeah, your voice and what, how those values apply to kind of what you're building. Um, and the beer example is funny because if you looked at, if you went to the factory of where the beer is made or the brewery and there weren't any labels on the stuff, it would look more or less the same, right? Right. No matter whatever hundred different types of beers it was. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know why your examples always seem to involve beer, but I don't know, whatever. But anyway, uh, okay. So last question about this stuff. I'm curious. Our, our topic is community. So we talk about like you build a community around an idea that builds into a, a business way of helping people. You guys have switched to like a closed community. That's pretty much a paid community. Whereas like Libby Legend is pretty much open. Like we have our Libby Legend local groups, which mm-hmm. are all free, and um, we have other ways of making money. But how have you felt? with the community building aspect now that it's more closed off and you don't, it's, I guess it's harder to get to the critical mass because people are paying to get there mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah. has that been a Yeah, and, and I think um, you have to be very careful in trying to build uh, a model that would only work with a really big audience. Yeah. So, you know, you might find a business out there, like for example, Uber, like that sounds great, but do you have pockets deep enough to hire all these drivers and build a network, you know, in all right. kinds of different markets and so on? Um, and uh, so, you know, when, when you choose the model, you have to make sure that that model is going to work with three customers for, in the beginning, you know, or one customer. 
Um, so to try to build a closed community model like we have, if you're brand new, you're going to have a hell of a time making that work because um, there's just a chicken and the egg problem. A community yep. needs uh, you know, thriving conversation, but thriving conversation doesn't happen unless there are a lot of members. And so for us, that worked because we were able to seed it with a lot of people because we had already been you know, building other, other communities in the past. So, you know, be careful, I think. Make sure that the model that you choose is going to work even if you only have one customer. And, you know, to me that means um, things that don't necessarily have that community piece. Or if you're going to launch a community, just wait until you have enough momentum that you can seed it and get it off the ground. We tried and failed with communities in the past. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, not necessarily failed completely, but we had communities built into other products that never really got off the ground because they just didn't have enough members. And, and we hadn't learned enough about what it takes to build a thriving community. Right, which is, I mean, it's a hell of a project, especially to get the, like, the snowball rolling, mm -hmm. for sure. You know? yep. I mean, just like, I remember asking Steve Cam when I was thinking about doing a forum for Connect With Anyone, I said, how do you, how did you get your forum rolling? His forum is very active, you know, and it's free. And he said, oh, I spent so many hours um, every day in the beginning just like getting the action rolling. He's like, and I wanted to make sure that people were at the party before all the new people arrived at the party. That was his analogy that he gave. He's like, I found my best community members. I brought them in, had them start the conversation. And we had this whole kind of onboarding process, yep. which definitely not, did not just happen by him just sending an email and saying, hey, forum's open. Like, exactly. let's roll. Exactly. So, um, these are all things that people assume just happen. And like Steve Cam, I mean, he's getting something like whatever. It's like 500 or 800 new subscribers a day. You know, he's got a quarter of a million subscribers doing unbelievably well. And everyone loves to look at it and think like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, he's got a thriving forum. No, but Steve worked his face off totally. for that forum to be thriving. And, yeah. and he, he did it, um, I think, when most of his peers thought, why would I ever want a forum you know, on my site or whatever? What right. good is a forum? At the time he was doing that, it, something else was in fashion. Podcasts or, or webinars were in fashion at that time. And he decided to create a forum because he probably saw it in other areas. That's, again, where... Steve's, you know, uh, nerd background or whatever you want to call it was useful because he probably was in a forum for some game he was interested in <laughs> yeah, yeah. and thought, hmm, maybe I could do this for my own site. So, you know, sometimes the model that you borrow from uh, can come from a totally different genre or topic or niche or whatever you want to call it. You know, right. um, it's in fashion in the Silicon Valley world to say that we are like uh, Uber for X, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like we're Uber for pizza delivery or something. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, for Steve to, to pull the forums from some other world and, and bring it into the, his blogging world was a really smart move. Right. So look around, you know, look at whatever your overlapping interests are. Maybe your overlapping interests don't all make their way into your business, but maybe you learn things from those things that you have as hobbies right. uh, and from the way that businesses conduct themselves over there. And that's what ends up making something that's really unique and differentiated you know, mm -hmm. compared to others. And one last thing about the modeling, I think that um, this brought up with like with Steve or even with you, what you mentioned about Fizzle is that, let's say someone looks at Fizzle and they say, oh, this is my model. Like I want to you know, create this for whatever I'm building. Um, don't forget that Fizzle wasn't step one for you guys, right? That like you guys look at, no. how did they get to that point? Like everyone yeah. wants to be Tim Ferriss, work four hours a week, or like Leo about to have a chill schedule. Leo wrote and worked harder than anybody I know before anyone knew about Zen Habits. Yeah. You know, but no one likes to look at that. So, the, yeah, the, the real question is, um, there's a couple. One is, you know, what did Leo about to do when he was first getting started? Um, and maybe more importantly, 
what would Leo do now if he were in your shoes, given that the world has changed because he got started eight years ago or something and things are a lot different. So you can't just duplicate what your mentors did. You can't say, well, Richard Branson started a magazine right. in the late sixties or whatever. The world is completely different. So, you know, Chase, uh, my business partner has this exercise, which is to think about like, who do you really identify with? Like if you were one sort of famous, well-accomplished person, who do you think like fits you best? And just to kind of think like about, you know, comedians and scientists and whoever, you know, and maybe you're like Neil deGrasse Tyson, like he's amazing. Like yeah. I seem like, so then think about, well, if Neil was you right now, what would be his next move? Um, not Neil being famous, but him now, what would be his next move? And just to kind of think about like where your career should be headed if that's the kind of person that you want to end up being. Right, right. And like, yeah, thinking about what you do today versus what, and ideally asking people what they would do today. Like for instance, if you were starting today, right now to, um, to offer a product, do you think you do much different than you did before? What would I do today if I was going to do a product? Um, I think I would, I think I would probably, there are a couple of things. Um, one is I might work on a software product because um, just you know knowing the stickiness of software mm -hmm. uh, versus a community like we have right now, this is something that we wrestle with. It's a little bit insider baseball in terms of what we're working on. But um, you know, it's a, an educational community or membership um, is a difficult thing to keep people interested in yeah. because you have this intention of learning and you come and maybe you decide not to take the classes and it's really easy for you to drop out. Whereas with software, if I sign up to use MailChimp for my business, um, it's very hard for me to stop using MailChimp because it's part of my workflow. Mm -hmm. It's a critical part of what I do for business. And, um, and so software has these really interesting sticky properties. Um, so that's one thing that I might do uh, if I were going to build my first product, some sort of simple software thing. Um, another thing would be um, to build something like you're doing right now, like this um, Live Your Legend Raw. It's really easy to create a membership as long as you have a, a core value proposition. But to say that, you know, um, I have this, you know, membership for $10. Basically, it's a, a, an extra subscriber level. Maybe you like my blog and you want to go deeper. Well, for $10 a month, here's what you get. You know, you get group coaching calls with me. You get these insider interviews and blah, blah, blah. That's a pretty simple thing to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, I do really like the, the, the properties of uh, monthly subscription revenue. It's really nice to say, well, you know, I had 100 subscribers last month and I earned $1,000. And next month, I'll probably earn plus or minus 10% of right. that amount. And it's what's interesting is that like what you just described is pretty much exactly what our good friend Leo Babauta has moved to, where he had ebooks and books and all kinds of things, and he literally pretty much scrapped everything he had for a ten dollar membership. Mm -hmm. And that's all I think it's, it's pretty much his whole revenue model now for Zen Habits. And he has a huge audience and stuff, but I mean it he's all about simplicity and I think that was a lot of the reason why he, he did it. Um, I love it, and that's partly why Raw exists too. It's like this I have dreams of having this more simplified everything, mm -hmm. you know, but so the Scott Dinsmore method is to overcomplicate sure. everything I do. So I'm yeah. trying to they call take it, my They call that pulling a Dinsmore, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so then you, you brought up something that I have to hit before we wrap this up. Um, is you, what's been, I know you're like the now uber chill corporate bar who doesn't really get stressed about anything and spends three months in Mexico and everything like that. No, that's not true. I, I actually <laughs> get stressed fairly easily, so I have to build my life in such a way that... 
maximizes my chances of not being stressed. Right. Okay, so you're not as chill as everyone likes to think. No, but you are. My point is, what's been a recent thing that's like caused you to get closer to like the panic, like anxious, like, oh, like how do I deal with this type of thing? And what'd you do about it? Um, well, a couple of things. One is uh, we moved, made a big life move from San Francisco to Portland, Oregon. And um, I think it's really easy to underestimate how stressful a big cross-country move is, even though uh, we have you know, a good chunk of our lives is in Portland because we're both from there, even though we had lived there before. That just, um, that takes a lot out of you, making that big move. Um, so that was one thing. Um, another is uh, we're just kind of at this like critical phase in our growth of Fizzle where there are a number of big things that we would like to do that are going to take a lot of investment mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, in terms of hiring people and, and so on. And um, just figuring out how we're going to fund that and how we're going to stomach paying for that. And, you know, investments are risky, even if it's within a, an existing business. Um, that is a little bit stressful as well. And I, I can't say that I, I've gotten over that. Um, I was just thinking now, um, as we were talking through decision-making frameworks and things, that I actually really need to sit down and write out a list of all of the different criteria that I need to evaluate to make that decision. Because, you know, when you, when you first, when something's on the horizon for you mentally, it's easy to kind of just let it bounce around in there for a while as you go about your regular life. And then you think eventually, you know, I'll get to that. Um, but if it's a really important decision, then sitting down and actually writing out all the criteria and all the pros and cons um, makes a lot of sense. And it really helps you get over that. So I need to do that myself. The old um, weighted average decision matrix? Yeah. Nice. That's my favorite. <laughs> good. It's good to know you're still struggling with stuff. That makes me feel a little bit better. Good. In the right ways. But um, all right. So close out to give people something to do right now if they're working on building their first um, product, what, do, what would be like an action that like you could actually do? Let's say if you carve an hour out today. Yep. An action for an hour today. Find one person that you can talk to, uh, either in person or over Skype, who represents a uh, potential customer or somebody that you feel like has a problem that you might be able to solve uh, related to your topic, whatever it is your business is about, and um, schedule an interview with them. So, you know, that might mean you have to email 20 people. Uh, that might mean you have to get creative and go dig through your blog comments and see if you can find people's email addresses. Um, that might mean, uh, you know, trolling your favorite forum or whatever and reaching out to people over LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. But try to find at least one person that you can talk to about uh, their problems and potential solutions. What I love about that action is that when in doubt, that's probably the best action to go back to, no matter what stage you're at and what friction you're experiencing. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the answers to most of our issues lies in talking with the actual customers. You just feel so much more certainty when there's somebody out there who you know has this problem, and if you're able to solve it, you're going to make their life a lot better. Right. Um, it just kind of gets it out of your head and into, oh, I just I have to do this. You know, there are uh, There are people in Africa who need water, clean drinking water. And mm. it's not about me, 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 and what I want my business to be. It's more like, I just have to solve this problem. Yeah, you don't start a blog so you can travel the world. That's a result, right? That's a, yeah. It's like, wait, how am I helping people? And then, oh, okay, we can use these tools to do it. Yeah, they're, they're, and, they're separate things, I think. Right. And, and the traveling the world is just a byproduct. I mean, we all get very wrapped up in the lifestyle stuff, and that's great. But um, 
a lot of people decide to create blogs about traveling the world because that's the thing that they want to do. And it's pretty tough to earn a living that way. And if you're able to um, help people with something more concrete, let's say you're a talented WordPress developer uh, or you know something about software, you could easily help people achieve that. And the byproduct is that now you get to go travel the world because you built a business that has the freedom that you want. Right. Um, but don't equate one for the other. Just because that's where your mind is doesn't mean that's the best place for you to earn an income. Yeah, I think the easy like litmus test is, is your reason for doing something just so you can get somewhere? And if that's the case, you need to go back to the drawing board because it has to be to get somebody else somewhere, mm -hmm. to help someone else with something. And then like you can craft how that can help you, you know, travel where you want or whatever. But I mean, I just feel like so many people miss that entire entire boat on that. It's like, hey, Scott, I'm so excited to build this location independent business. Like, what? No, no, that's not something. That's not a thing. You right. know? Um, anyway, well, dude, this is, this is killer. It's fun to be having this conversation in Mexico where the magic started. And seriously, like, I don't want to give you, like, too much credit, but you deserve a lot of it. Um, that Live Your Legend, like, wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be on this trip if we didn't kick off in the way that we if did. If we hadn't but, uh, met at that creepy bar and the mission in San And Francisco. had a few too many IPAs. Uh -huh. And... And this is where it led, but but really, it's it's really crazy. I could not have, at all, of yesterday, like to dream up the scenario of like what could be possible with like a business and the way that you serve people and what it allows you to do. This just wasn't on my, wouldn't have been on my mind map. So it, totally, it's, it's fun, cool. man, and uh, I'm glad you guys made it here. I couldn't imagine a better setting for an interview. We should have done this over video so people could see. That's true. On. Well, we'll take a maybe picture they, at least to maybe they to can hear it. a wave or two in the background. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> anyway, man. Well, this is perfect. Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me. And and for, uh, thanks, and, everybody, for listening. Yeah, indeed. And for taking us to that tequila tasting yesterday. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, go do something with this. Have some fun with it. <laughs> All right. Cool. Be Good. Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Scott. I wish it had been a little more about Scott and his work at Live Your Legend, but... This just felt right to share right now since it was one of the last times he and I got to speak. He always gave me a lot of credit, but that was just part of Scott's character. He was always complimentary, always willing to share the spotlight, always enthusiastic and ever supportive of his friends. Most importantly, I hope that you'll learn more about Scott and his mission. Visit liveyourlegend.net. He has already changed thousands of lives, and I have no doubt his story and Live Your Legend will change many more in the future. More than anyone I know, Scott embraced each day as a precious gift. He took the world by the horns, and he did what he was best at, what he was really meant to do. And that's exactly what Scott wanted for anyone who would listen, that you would find what you were meant to do that you could believe in yourself and realize what is truly possible in life, that you could live life to the fullest. One of Scott's favorite quotes was from Jim Rohn, who said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Scott wanted you to meet people who inspired and challenged you, people who changed your perspective from how could I to how could I not? Belief was Scott's secret weapon. Scott inspired and challenged me, and I'll be forever grateful for what he taught me. Thank you, Scott. We're going to miss you forever.